Welcome to the Grow Your Wealth Show, designed to guide you through building and growing your empire. Created for those who want to use real estate to build generational wealth. Join your host, Max Boyko, as he interviews some of the most successful real estate investors on the planet. They will guide you through the different aspects of real estate investing and succeeding in your journey. On the show, Max will be interviewing top real estate insiders. Max is a successful real estate investor who's purchased and sold properties totaling in the hundreds of millions. Now, he's bringing all of his experience to you. Grow Your Wealth Show brings you new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show is brought to you by Optimus Capital, the leader in funding real estate investors nationwide. Let me ask you, would you like to succeed in real estate beyond where you are now? Do you have questions and don't know where to start? Would you like to learn from a veteran investor? then you're in the right place. This podcast is designed for you. Now, here's your host, Max Boyko. Welcome to the Grow Your Wealth Show, how to use real estate to build generational wealth. This is your host, Max Boyko, and I have Andrew Shanti with me. Andrew, how's your day going? Doing good, Max. Pleased to be here. How about yourself? Awesome. Excellent. It's a beautiful day. And today we have an excellent topic. We're going to, oh, we're going to talk a little bit about credit, which we cut off uh, on our last show. Uh, And then we're going to jump into on how to buy investment properties with just 10% down or 10% out of pocket even because uh, a lot of our products, you know, we we can finance 100% of the renovation. So you're actually getting even more than 90% of the purchase price. You can essentially get a loan that exceeds your purchase price when you include renovations into that. So whether you have experience or you're just starting your investment portfolio, there's definitely a lot of options and we'll be going over those today. Uh, Andrew, you have anything to add? Any kind of special, special topics you want to introduce today? No, I mean, really, this is this is probably one of my favorite programs in the marketplace, Max, just as far as what it gives even the first time investor the ability to do or even for those real estate agents out there that really have access to what's going on in the market and can find some really amazing properties. This product, and this program is just gold mine for investors. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, a lot of our clients are realtors that that were buying properties for their clients. And then they just realized that like, hey, like basically, you know, a couple of commissions I can use as down payment and start buying my own portfolio and building up some wealth through that. Um, so did you, let's, uh, let's kind of finish off last time we kind of cut off on the credit, you know, just kind of what, how to maximize your credit score. And I don't want to get into too much detail, um, but just maybe some quick kind of advice for our listeners on what they need to look for and how how to really keep their credit scores in top shape. Uh, in a future episode, we're going to actually have a credit specialist on that'll talk about how to repair credit, how to improve it, um, how to build it, et cetera. Uh, today, I just want to kind of quickly go over a few best practices. Uh, Andrew, I know you've done a lot of stuff with credit uh, over the years. And is there anything you would like to add to that? Yeah, so I'll I'll kind of just dive in, Max. Um, My experience in the credit subject, you know, years back, I would have considered myself an expert in credit repair. I I really just listened to everything I could, digested everything I could in the marketplace uh, as far as what works, what's effective, and kind of the tools and techniques that you can use to sometimes rapidly build your score. And what's interesting is, um, you know, over the years, I know there were supposed to have been some changes to things that, you know, prevented people from, from gaining rapid increases in their credit, but I don't think it ever actually came to pass, which is, is really interesting. So there, there's still plenty of things out there that you can do just to, to kind of really change your credit situation pretty quickly. So, you know, one, one of the things that you're, when you're dealing with a hard money loan, 
people have a misconception that hard money doesn't require credit, which is not the case. So there are some programs out there that, you know, can get by with lower credit, but you end up with lower, you know, uh, loan to values or you can borrow less money or the terms aren't as favorable. So you really want to make sure your credit is in as strong a point as possible. So when you, when you look at the basic credit scoring model, you have your three bureaus. And so typically what's done in the hard money space is we're looking at the middle of the three. Sometimes we can get by with just two of them but it's typically the middle of the three that we're using on the guarantor for the loan. And so with that being said, there, there are some things that can really tank your credit very quickly. So you can go from a 680 to a 580 in almost a week's time if, for instance, you max out your credit cards. So when you're looking at a credit card, you have something called utilization rate. And what utilization rate on a credit card is, is where you have, say, a $10,000 credit card and you've used, say, 30% of the balance, 50% of the balance or 70% of the balance. And if you're keeping your credit cards under 30%, you're going to have the highest credit score possible. Uh, if you have a credit score that's or a credit card that's you know at around 50% utilization, it's going to lower your credit a little bit more. And then if you're at 70 or higher, it's really going to start hurting your credit score until you start paying down those balances. So with the utilization rate, just kind of getting those under control is probably one of the most effective ways to boosting your credit score quickly. And then there's some other things that kind of go into that. So for instance, the the length of the cards that you have, if you've had a card for one year, five year, 10 years, you know, so they, they do look at your credit history as far as how long you've been borrowing and lending. And the credit scoring model also takes into account the fact that you don't mind paying interest. So it's it's interesting if you deal with a lot of cash investors out there, people that have just been buying properties with cash, fixing them themselves, but haven't necessarily been using the banking model or OPM, other people's money to buy it. It's kind of surprising because you'll approach them and they may they may have like a 610, 620 credit score. And meanwhile, they've been very successful in their career. And the the reason that is, is because a large part of the credit scoring model is showing that you don't mind borrowing money right? So part of that is when you do take out a loan on a credit card or you borrow money against it or you put purchases on it, you don't want to pay off the balance every month because then it doesn't actually report to the credit bureau that you had some balance on it. It just shows as if there was no balance on it, which is, is not what you want for the credit scoring model. So little things like that can you know make a, a really big difference. If you have the ability to pay down your credit cards to under that 30% utilization, that's going to give you a big bump to your credit. Um, another kind of tip or trick that you can do with that is like, let's say, for instance, with the credit card utilization, you know, there's some little tips and tricks that you can do to kind of maximize that in a, in a quick way and sometimes get around even paying down your credit card. So say, for instance, if you have a credit card that's at 50% utilization, if you've been making all your payments on time, you can always give your credit card company a call and ask them just based on your payment history, if they can increase your credit limit without pulling your credit. So anytime anyone pulls your credit, it's typically going to take a three, a three point hit for up to a year to your credit score. And they tell you that that only counts for up to 10 credit pulls, which I'll be honest with you, I don't necessarily believe that that's true from kind of what I've seen with, with people's kind of credit reports. So if you can give your credit card a company a call and say, hey, I've got a $5,000 limit. I've been making all my payments on time. Can you increase that to $7,000 or $10,000? Well, you've just decreased your utilization rate without having to actually pay down your credit card. So you can get an instant boost on credit. Um, another thing that you can do along that same format is 
it's a little bit of a riskier maneuver, but it, it is effective. And what that is, is adding trade lines. So there's companies out there that will basically add you on as a registered user to someone else's long-term credit card. So they, they set up relationships with people. You don't get a copy of this credit card. You're just being added on via your social security number, your name, your date of birth. And what happens when they add that credit card uh, with you as a registered user, you now get that full credit history from that credit card added to your credit report. And it doesn't really show on the on the on the credit report, whether you're the primary user, if you're a secondary user, et cetera. But the risk to that, of course, is that you're now reliant on somebody else to be making their credit card payments on time, which these companies are typically very good at kind of tracking and monitoring that to make sure that it is someone who's going to be paying their bills. And you can kind of use that model. You can add one or two trade lines. You can figure out how big a card they're going to add, how old that card is. And there's kind of different costs associated with the different profiles of the card. But that can very rapidly either give you an instant boost to your credit, or in some cases, give you instant credit. Um, Along that same front, if you have friends or family that pay their bills on time, you know that they're responsible people, you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, and they've had a long-standing credit card, you can do the same thing with them uh, if they've got a low balance but a high high credit limit. You can ask them and basically say, hey, mom, dad, sister, brother, would you mind adding me to this credit card as a registered user? I'm not going to be using the card. I'm not going to have a copy of the card, but I just want the credit history. And so utilizing this, you can take your credit from a 600 to a 720 as soon as the credit reporting bureaus rescore, which Max, tell me if I'm wrong, does that happen about once a month that they kind of reset on the, the credit scoring model? So from what I've seen, the credit reports actually update typically almost daily. So someone can have a different score depending on the statement date of the credit card. So for example, you know, every credit report or every credit statement is going to have a statement date on it. I don't know exactly when they report, but I'm pretty sure it's within like two or three days of that uh, statement date. And once the statement date is issued or the statement date passes, that's when the credit cards reported to the bureaus and the bureaus increase or basically increase or decrease the scores based on the new data that's available. So I, I would say it's not necessarily that the bureaus are updating it. It's more of when are the creditors reporting it. Mm. Uh, that's more important. So, for example, if you have you know, a statement date coming up with within a week, you want to pay down that credit card. Uh, one thing you didn't mention is also like balance transfers. So a lot of times you can transfer balance to decrease your credit utilization. Uh, I've seen that be a pretty good strategy. I really like the idea you have of you know just calling in and increasing the credit line. In terms of the companies, I mean, you got to be careful <laughs> with those as well. Uh, and I've, I've seen kind of some marketing things sent over for that. But I really think the friends and family method works a lot more effectively because you know who you're dealing with. Because if you get added on to someone's credit that you don't know who they are, um, if they miss a payment, you're, you know, <laughs> shoot yourself in the foot. It so can't go I, south. I yeah, I, I try to avoid that. But the friends and family, you know, like especially parents, you know, they're always willing to help their children. Typically, uh, you know, that, that's definitely a great strategy. So I think with credit, you know, that, that's a good, uh, good introduction. I mean, I always say keep the balances below 25% even. Um, 30%, I think, is a good number. Um, but I think ideally, you know, 25 to 30, you want to have a little bit of a buffer as well. Uh, but, you know, those are all, you know, utilization is everything. Um, another thing is the utilization looks at each individual card. So if you have one card, say, with a $10,000 limit and 
you know, you have $7,000 as a balance on it, it's going to hit you really hard because you have high utilization on one card, where if you have another card that's paid off with zero balance, it's not going to offset the high utilization on the one. So you always want to make sure if you have three or four cards or credit lines that you kind of balance your balances, if that makes sense, and kind of just spread it around equally. And a lot of times that's going to be enough to really just keep your utilization down. You just never want to really get above that 30% number per card. Um, not the total limit, but the actual per card limit. So I, th- I think that's uh, enough coverage for the credit. Uh, I really want to get into our topic uh, so we have enough time to get through it. And it's really, this is one of my favorite, is how, how to really build your portfolio with you know starting out, whether you're brand new, um, if you are brand new, you can still get 90% financing in today's uh, credit world. Uh, we can do 90% financing on the purchase price, 100% of the renovation amount. And what's even greater is you can refinance those as long as they're cash flowing. You can refinance them at 75% loan to after repair value or after completed value and essentially even have the ability to pull out all of your money that you put in as down payment and then reuse that money to buy additional properties. So we've seen a lot of realtors, contractors, people I get involved in the industry uh, or that were usually vendors in the industry really be able to turn their life around and start actually acquiring properties uh, with pretty minimal down payment requirements. Um, even if you don't have it, I mean, a lot of times, you know, credit usage, you know, you do have to have good credit to do this, but you can pull out cash um, from credit cards. You can get a credit line for the bank and even use that money for the down payment. Uh, you want to make sure you don't over leverage yourself and that you have some reserves for payments. But a lot of that just comes down to common sense and being able to uh, utilize the resources available to you. So leverage options really, I mean, I I would say top program. I mean, ideally, this works best for more experienced contractors or developers. So if you've done, you know, two, three flips, uh, you're going to get better terms. But even even if you're brand new, you can still get that 90% option as a brand new borrower. You do have to have higher FICO. So typically, you're going to want 720 FICO or higher. If you don't have it, you can get a guarantor or someone else to sign for the loan. Um, so you can, you know, essentially build out a team. Uh, that's actually one of the topics I wanted to talk about today is, you know, how to build the right team and who to have involved in it um, to really escalate, accelerate your real estate investment business. Uh, and, you know, I mean, w- what have you seen as good ways to fundraise for brand new borrowers that might not have ne- even the 10% down payment, Andrew? Where, where have you seen people be able to source the money for that? It's, it's kind of a funny subject, Max. I, I just had a one one of the things I love about real estate investors is how uh, their, their ingenuity, like their their ability to solve problems. So one of the things I see kind of regularly with investors that are calling us on the first time investor side is nobody has really explained to them or taken the time to tell them what they need to do to get across the finish line. So a lot of the, a lot of the lenders out there that people will call, and I know this isn't the way that we operate, won't actually take the time with the first time investor. You know, that just calls them and is looking to get in the real estate game, which is a noble act. They, as soon as they, they hear that they've got low credit or they don't have much money, they hang up the phone on them. They just say, you're not qualified. And they just hang up phone on them. What I like to do is I like to actually take time to educate the investor on exactly what is required so that they know what the goalpost is. So if you know how to get somewhere and you know what you need to do to get there, uh, again, real estate investors are, are going to find a way if they're really serious about this industry. So, you know, part of that is, is uh, as we were talking, you know, friends and family. So if you have, you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, aunt that has 
retirement money has just cash sitting in the bank that they're willing to allow you to use short term, then you can always approach, you know, friends or family with, you know, your your 10% down payment. On the rehab fix and flips, you know, it's important to realize there there are a few different costs involved, right? So when we say 10% down, you know, 90% of the purchase price, 100% of the construction rehab cost on up to 70% of the after repair value of a property. For experienced investors, you know, we can push that to 75% of the after repair value. But for your first time investor or for your investor that has less than five transactions, you know, we're going to max out at 70%. So as an example, if you have a $200,000 property, you know, after it's been fixed up and brought to market, 70% of $200,000 is $140,000. So that's the maximum loan amount. So in other words, if you're able to buy a property and rehab it for under $140,000, you only have to come to the table with 10% down. So you know, if you're buying it for $120,000, you know, that's your purchase price on it and say it's got $30,000 in rehab cost, 10% of $120,000, you're just looking at $12,000 to close on it, plus your closing costs. And then the other thing that you need to know about these programs, especially for the first time investor, is no lender will give you your rehab money up front because they don't know what you're actually going to do with that money when you get it. Are you going to go to Vegas and put it all on, on red? You know, We don't know. So it's holding the investor accountable and so you have to have enough money on the rehab side to pay for at least the first portion of the rehab cost. So you're coming to the table with your 10% down, you're coming to the table with your closing costs, and then you're coming to the table with say, you know, a fourth of the total rehab cost that you're spending up front. We send out the inspector. The inspector takes a look, says, yep, got done that portion of the rehab project. And then we're giving you that money back so that you can then go on to the next phase of the transaction as far as the rehab is concerned. So you just need to be aware upfront, you will need a little bit of cash to get in the game, but you're not having to come to the table with a huge amount of money compared to the money that you can actually make on these transactions. So it's because it's all about a cash on cash return on your money when you're talking real estate investment. If you're only spending $15,000 or $20,000 to come into a property and then you're making $60,000 on a deal or $70,000 or $80,000, you just made 200 to 300 times return on your money. And sometimes you can get these fix and flip properties done in you know two, three, four months, depending on how skilled of a team that you have behind you and how effective you are at what you're doing. Anything you want to add to that, Max? Need access to more capital for your real estate projects? You're in luck. Max is the leader and managing director of Optimus Capital, a national private money firm, which provides capital to real estate investors throughout the country. They offer some of the most competitive terms and rates in the industry. Currently, they fund single family flips up to 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab costs. They also fund new construction, rentals. It doesn't matter if you have one rental or an entire portfolio of 100 they get it done. They also fund multifamily, refinances of all types. Optimus Capital has closed hundreds of millions in loans for real estate investors throughout the country. Whether you're a seasoned, experienced investor or just getting started and haven't done a deal, Optimus Capital has got you covered. Head over to OptimusCapitalCorp.com now and fill out the quick form. The professional team at Optimus Capital is standing by ready to assist you now.
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. So you do need to have a little bit of reserves for construction. I, I think that's really important. That's part of what I mentioned is, you know, you never want to get overextended. You know, you do have monthly payments. You have to pay interest uh, to the lender. So you want to just make sure that, you know, you set aside, you know, like 5% of, say, your budget for, for that. You know, in terms of the construction, uh, I know there's a lot of different ways you can structure that as well. So one of them is, you know, you can use credit cards, for example, to purchase materials, right? You get a Home Depot credit card, even earn points, uh, as well as, you know, utilize our Optimus Capital Home Depot program, which gets you 10 to 25% off at Home Depot uh, on top of it. So you can kind of really look for ways to save money on materials, but also most vendors, if you explain to them that you have construction draws set up, they'll actually work with you. A lot of contractors I know, they'll be, as long as they know who the lender is behind uh, the financing. We could even get in touch with them if you ever needed to. You know, show them that like, hey, once once the draw comes in, you get paid instantly. Um, there's even ways to set it up to where the contractor could get paid. Ideally, we like to pay the client, and then the client would pay with pay all vendors and pay all the contractors. But you know, there's kind of different ways to set it up to get everyone's comfort level up. Uh, it just really depends on the size of the rehab. I mean, some of these projects are pretty minimal rehab, so you you really wouldn't even need all that much money. I mean, I just, we had a deal come in where the rehab was like $15,000. They didn't even want construction draws against it. It's always like, well, if you can get the extra money, why not take it? And then, you know, start searching for your next deal. Max, who, who do you think needs to be a part of your team to kind of really do this properly on the rehab fix and flip side? So I think the team is one of the most critical parts of the equation. And it's kind of like, a, I'd say a triangle. So you, know, you really want having the right people on your team is really how you save money. Um, all of the deals that I've personally done, I've always brought in a contractor partner because construction is just not my strong suit. It's not something I enjoy. I don't like running after subcontractors. I don't like running around to job sites. So personally, I've always brought in a contractor on our deals to you know, be in charge of the project. And a lot of times, if you offer the contractor a profit share of some sort, they'll even put in some skin in the game or they'll put some money into the project. You can set up an LLC with a contractor. Um, you could have an outside agreement. It really just depends on the strength of your relationship. But a lot of a lot of the guys, you know, would really do that. Another really strong team member to have uh, either as a partner or just a really good relationship with that you do repeat business with would be a realtor. So the realtor, I mean, average realtor would make you know, let's say two and a half percent on the buy side and then another two and a half or five percent on the sell side. That's seven and a half percent of the of you know of the uh of the transaction. And I mean that's most of the down payment. If you consider it from that perspective, you know, if you're not a realtor, you should I encourage you to start looking at, you know, being able to maybe sell or buy your own property so that that commission goes in your pocket instead of, you know, a third party. But essentially, that's 75% of the down payment required just in commissions that are paid. So that really gives a good opportunity to um, capitalize on that. And, you know, what I've seen work with realtors is, for example, you offer them a part of the deal or you say, hey, credit your commission on the front end. You know, I'll give you a piece of the deal on the back end or you have them just work commission free for a piece of the deal. You could probably most realtors, I would say, have a little excess money to spend as well if they're good. And they might even be interested in becoming your equity partner or guarantor as long as you put all the other pieces in place. Obviously, a realtor is not going to want to be a partner if they're finding the deal, they're putting in the money, they're managing the project. Yeah, <laughs> they don't really need you for that. But if, if you 
you're able to source the projects and then you have a realtor that sells them, for example, that's one way to do it. A lot of wholesalers, you know, kind of go that route where they'll find their own properties and then, you know, they still need to sell them eventually. And the realtor that sells them for you, you could have variety of agreements with them on that end where they either, you know, do it commission free or, you know, I've seen you can do commissions based on the profitability of the projects that they find. There's a lot of really creative ways to structure deals and partnerships with realtors, you know, with contractors. And, you know, kind of the last part of the team is really the guarantor, the equity partner, which, you know, it could be you personally, uh, if you have the equity, if you don't, you know, you could always bring in, you know, again, kind of that family money, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. How I started was basically calling cousins and aunts and uncles and, you know, getting five to $10,000 at a time and giving them a piece of the back end. So the biggest thing to raise money is not being greedy. People don't, if you show them what the profitability of the project is, you go through it. Uh, you do a nice presentation, you show them comparables and you offer them a, a decent return on their money. A lot of times they'll give it to you without any kind of security or, you know, guarantees because, you know, friends and family, that's always kind of the the beginning of every great investor, in my opinion. You know, I mean, we've seen LLCs with, you know, typically it's one or two partners. Um, I mean, I've seen as much as four. Everyone kind of brings something to the table helps helps the process. So you just really want to make sure that everyone's putting in an equal equal effort into the transaction. And I think that can go a, wrong, a long way where, you know, you kind of ride each other. You want to make it to where two plus two equals five, you know, instead of three. Absolutely. So Max, on the on the documentation side, kind of what's required to get through one of these these rehab fix and flips? And, and before you kind of go into that, one thing to realize, especially on the rehab fix and flip side, is timing of things. So because of the nature of these deals and the way they're structured, there's no income, no asset requirements, no job history requirements. So we're not really concerned about those things when we're doing these transactions. We're looking at the amount of equity in the deal and what the rehab cost is and that you know you have enough cash to pay, pay the short-term mortgage and your down payment and your initial draws on it. So with that being said, we can get these loans quicker than other loans because sometimes we can get around having our appraisal requirement Appraisals are taking two, three weeks, a month plus, depending on the area you're right now, given just how on fire the real estate markets are. So if someone has all of their ducks in a row, be aware that it is possible to get these loans closed in as quick as you know 10 to 14 business days, if you have all of your ducks in a row and everything together. So kind of with that caveat being said, what, what is actually required to, to kind of get across the finish line the quickest? So we really don't need the income documentation. So I think that's really when people think hard money, they think it means bad credit. My, my opinion on hard money is more that it's not necessarily bad credit. It's that you don't have to provide all of the documentation that you would have to provide to a bank. So we don't, I can't remember the last time I looked at a tax return. That's just something that's never really required unless it, you need to prove like your rental income collection or something like that, uh, which would be a different type of loan altogether. Um, but there's no tax returns. We do like to see two months bank statements, but you know, if you have exceptional credit, that can be avoided unless it requires an exception on the file. So exceptions would be, you know, if you have less than three trade lines on your credit, if you have less, you just really make sure, you know, you have at least three credit cards uh, for more than 12 months is kind of the underwriting guideline for that. 
Uh, and then if there's an extensive renovation, like if you're adding square footage, if your renovation is greater than the purchase price, you know, that's just going to require a little more digging in to make sure that you're going to be able to complete the transaction. But I'd, I'd say the industry right now, it's really just focused on what is the purchase price and the as is value. How much are you putting into renovations and what's the property going to be worth after that? Your scope of work has to make sense. So you want to make sure you have a contract to review that and just really you know, make sure there's nothing that's going to get questioned on there. Uh, if everything's a clean submission, really, we can even void most of the time bank statements. If you have them, that gets you a little bit better terms. So if you can show liquidity, you know, that's always better. But I mean, I think our submission package is very, very light compared to where it was, you know, let's say even five years ago, where bank statements were always mandatory. It's really it's really a value driven industry value based on the property and just the ability to show that you're going to be a responsible borrower and that you're going to be able to make your payments without any issues. So, Max, I know you mentioned the the scope of work and the rehab costs. One, one thing when people are coming to the table with the scope of work and the rehab budget is the more detail that you have on what you're doing, the better. So what happens in the actual underwriting process when it, it actually goes in for funding is they're going to look at what your cost on various phases of your work is compared to tens of thousands of other transactions that have been done for rehab fix and flips loans. So if you're saying that you're going to you know, redo a kitchen for, for $500 and everyone else in the country is spending $5,000, $6,000, it's going to come back and slow down your closing process because underwriting is going to say, this doesn't make any sense. The average cost of rehab is you know, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000. This guy's not getting it done for $200. So the, the more accurate you can be when you're describing exactly what you're doing, whether that's your cabinets, granite countertops, tile floors versus waterproof vinyl floors, uh, carpeting in the bedrooms, new bathtub, new sink, you know, all of those kind of details right there. You, you just want to be aware of that you want as much detail as possible when you're doing that. That way it doesn't get questions and that way you can actually justify the, the amount of money you're requesting on the rehab budget. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. So that the scope of work is one of the few documents that are required. And I would say is probably one of the most important ones that get looked at for these types of transactions. And the reason for it is how do you create an after repair value with an inaccurate scope of work? So that's definitely, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You know, you want to make sure that you have the details. You know, if you're redoing the kitchen, you want to specify, you know, what kind of countertops you're doing, you know, what exactly in the kitchen you're replacing, things like that. Because nine times out of 10, you know, once the scope of work goes into review, if there's things missing, it's just going to hit you with a condition and say, you know, these items look incorrect and you're going to lose two, three days going back and forth, resubmitting it, getting it re-reviewed. You know, basically every every time a file has to get reviewed an additional time, you're losing two or three days because, you know, you end up going to the back of the line um, based on, you know, everyone else that's submitting files and wants to get them closed. You know, and in our industry, it seems everyone always needs to close as soon as possible. Uh, I rarely say see anyone that says, oh, I have 30 days. Don't worry. Like, don't rush it. Uh, usually it's like I have to close yesterday or, you know, a lot of times we get fallouts from other loans or other lenders that, you know, they were supposed to close for some whatever reason they were unable to. A lot of times those are things that we can get around or, you know, restructure the deal to make it work. But you know, if you really want to move quickly, that scope of work document is probably going to be one of the most important documents that you can provide. So other other documentation that's kind of standard to the, the fix and flip loan process, 
You're going to need a copy of your driver's license, voided check of the account. So it's going to be automatic payments on your monthly mortgage payments with these particular loans. So we're going to need a copy of the voided check. On the, on the article side of the actual corporation, we're going to need uh, articles of incorporation for the LLC. The operating agreement is something that is very important. So with the operating agreement, you gotta want you wanna want to make sure that whoever is part of the company, like whoever your partners are, are listed on that. And it's critically important that you have the actual percentages of ownership. So whoever has 51% ownership on the operating agreement, and that doesn't mean that they have 51% of the profits, it's just who's showing up on the actual corporation. That's who we're going to look at and run credit on. So that's really important. So whoever has the highest credit score, if you have three partners, you want that partner to show us having 51% ownership uh, as far as the operating agreement is concerned. That way we're using them on the guarantor of the loan and getting you the most favorable price as possible. Absolutely. So I think with that, I think we covered pretty much uh topic. Can't think of anything else that we can really add to it. I think this was a great, great topic, a great show. And you know, hopefully it gives you guys a foundation for how to start building out your portfolio. Uh, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the advice I think that we gave today was based on uh you know newer borrowers, but for experienced borrowers, you know, you guys should already know this. You know, if you've been fixing flipping or you know in the game for some time, uh maybe just kind of clarified a few things that you might have questioned or been concerned about, or even just seen why 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 am I being asked for this? Uh hopefully this this kind of brought some clarity and really open your mind up. So I just want to thank everyone for joining us for today's show. We're going to have some great future content for you as well. So make sure to sign up, register and stay tuned. And we look forward to seeing you on our next show. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Grow Your Wealth Podcast, brought to you by Optimus Capital. If you liked this episode, be sure and follow and subscribe. You can listen to every episode on all major platforms. Have an interest in being on the show? Reach out to OptimusCapitalCorp.com slash show to access the resources mentioned in each episode. Until next time, remember to use real estate to build generational wealth.